You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. everyone's doing well on this beautiful homecoming day. I want to ask if you will turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 2 uh, verses 13 through 25. Once again, John chapter 2 verses 13 through 25. And we'll ask if everyone can and is able, please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy Word. Once again, John chapter 2 verses 13 through 25. The Word of God says the Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews, or the Jewish leaders that is, replied to him, What sign will you, will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, saying, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore the Jews said, This temple took forty-six years to build, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them, since he knew them all, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man." Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the power found therein. And Lord, this morning I just simply confess that I am nothing and you are everything. And we just ask, Lord, that you would just use, uh, the, just use me as your mouthpiece today, Lord, allowing me to speak the words that need to be spoken and holding back any that don't. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. All right, I got to ask, I want to go to the next slide here if I can and um, to ask, how many Carolina fans do we have here? Now, Wayne, I didn't see your hand up over. <laughs> how many NC State fans do we have here? Well, if you could just hit the, the slide just one time. There we go. This one's for Wayne Tilly. We got a Wake Forest guy up there for you just as well. So how many Wake Forest people we have here? Enjoy that. All right, we got several there as well. Man, we got a bunch back there. All right, well, anyhow, college, uh, there was a story of two college basketball players, and we won't say for which team they play, but they were nicknamed Bubba and Tiny. 
And uh, Bubba was not known for being the sharpest tool in the shed, needless to say. But they were on academic, he was on academic probation. And it was basically said that if he didn't pass this final exam, he would not be able to play basketball for the remainder of the season. So they were, they were taking this exam, and the last question was a throwaway question. It was supposed to be something that anyone could get. The question read, Old MacDonald had a blank. So Bubba punched Tiny in the shoulder says, Tiny, what did Old MacDonald have? And Tiny says, Bubba, you really are dumb, aren't you? He said, everybody knows old MacDonald had a farm. He says, well, Tiny, how do you spell farm? He says, well, everybody knows you spell farm E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> well, needless to say, both of them, it makes you wonder whether or not they passed the exam afterwards. But uh, obviously, they needed to improve. They needed to clean up on their academic uh, progress, needless to say. But in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25... One learns of the temple cleansing that took place. And many people ask the question, we, we see this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see that this temple cleansing, at least in those Gospels, comes later in the text, later in the ministry of Jesus before He was crucified. In John's Gospel, it comes at the very beginning of His ministry. And some people ask, well, maybe John, since he wrote this later in life, maybe he just got it wrong. Maybe he was just mistaken over this issue. And some people say, well, maybe he used a literary device and moved it. Well, however, the obvious truth is when you study the text and you see the things that are going on, there are good reasons for believing that Jesus not only cleansed the temple one time, but at least twice. In fact, it is most likely that every time Jesus entered the temple area, He probably did the same thing that He did this over and over and over again. And some people will say, well, how could He get away with it? Well, that's the reason they sent people investigating Him as He was preaching in the countryside. That's the reason they, had, they sent leaders from Jerusalem to, to, to study this country preacher to see what was going on. So what we find in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus cleanses the temple. But what He does by this is He's sending a great message to the people in Israel, to the people on the Temple Mount. He's saying, not only do you need to cleanse this temple, but you need to cleanse your heart. Because Jesus, in three ways, attacks three certain issues that are taking place in the temple. First of all, we see that there is a cleansing from profiteering. How many of you get irritated and agitated when you see uh, these televangelists and many people continuously begging for money and you know that it's not being used for good? Anybody? It's frustrating, isn't it? Uh, when you see these individuals uh, using the name of God just, just to uh, make a name for themselves or something of the sort. Well, Jesus was just as irritated from this. The, the growing exploitation of God's house provided a great deal of income to the Sadducees and for those who were exploiting the system to make a buck in God's name. Now, here's what was taking place. Jesus, well, many people would basically, basically set up shop and they would say, well, if you forgot your sacrifice, if you forgot to bring your sacrifice, we'll charge you a lot more. It's kind of like if you're at the Bank of America Stadium and you didn't buy tickets beforehand and you're going to buy tickets for the Panthers game, they may sell it to you, maybe $50 tickets, and they'll sell it to you for about $500. Well, if you go to the ACC tournament, the tickets, they'll, they'll bump up the price a lot more than what it was. And that's what was taking place with many of these money changers. They were exploiting the house of God to make a dishonest gain for themselves. 
Richard Bauckham argues that Jesus' demonstration in the temple was an attack on the whole of the financial arrangements for the sacrificial system and thus an enormous threat to the priestly authorities. Jesus was confronting the charlatans of the day and time. And He was confronting this issue of profiteering and this dishonest use to gain. In fact, Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, He says, Beware of scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They, listen, devour widows' houses... They go after the poor. They try to obtain their money. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. They will receive the harsher punishment. D.A. Carson writes, Jesus' cleansing of the temple testifies to His concern for pure worship, a right relationship with God at the place supremely designed to serve as the focal point of the relationship between God and man. Jesus doesn't want anything coming between a person's relationship with God Almighty. Let's be honest. There are many people who try to scam anymore. And that's why I tell people, if you call my phone, leave a message, because if I don't recognize your number, chances are likely I'm not going to answer. And the reason why is it seems like, I don't know if our information's been sold or something, but we get every telemarketer possible, it seems like, calling our phone numbers and just about drive you up a wall, amen? About drive you up the wall. In fact, uh, uh, Stacy Johnson of the Business Insider lists six ways that people make a dishonest livings. First of all, you have the investment gurus, get-rich-quick schemes. You know, you've heard of those. You pay me $5,000, and I'll take that $5,000 and make it $5 million instantaneously. No work whatsoever. But does that really work? <laughs> Obviously not. Uh, nonprofit agencies. Now, there are some good nonprofit agencies out there, but there are some out there who try to, to use people's uh, sympathies to uh, collect money for charities, but not use it for the charities that they say, but will use it to fill their pockets. Offering simple solutions to complex problems, and let's just call a spade a spade. The fitness industry fits this mold. Amen? If you do this simple workout 10 minutes a day, 30, I mean, for 30 days you'll look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or a fitness model. Or you take this simple little pill and you'll look like a, a model on the front page of a magazine. It's all over, and it's a multi-billion dollar industry now uh, taking, taking advantage of people's hopes and dreams. Uh, pr proven cures to ailments. Take this simple little pill and it'll cure all that ails you. You've seen those things as well. Predictions of the futures. Hot, uh, psychic hotlines. In fact, uh, I was listening late at... Uh, Late night, there was a, there's a radio show that comes on, Coast to Coast AM. It's got some weird stuff on there. But I, I listened to it, and, um, and, I, and they were saying that uh, because of the things taking place in the Middle East, they were expecting by year's end uh, to, for the world to just collapse. And you know what? This was an old show. This was aired back in 1995. So, so they, were, they were expecting the world to come to an end at the end of 1995 or whenever the show was aired. And here it is, many years after that, and we're still going. So the foreclosure debt settlements as well. All I'm just simply saying by this is that there are people who try to take advantage of others. And there are people, if you're not careful, who exploit the name of God to do the same. We have to understand that one of the things that Jesus was encountering is the fact that the church 
is not meant to be a business institution. It is meant to be an organism worshiping God and telling people in this lost and dying world that there is hope in the name of Jesus. That is the focus of the church, and that's what we must be doing as a church, directed upon Him, focused upon Him, and letting other people know about the salvation that is found in Jesus' name. Number two, we see cleansing from power. This institution was set up to control uh, the, the worship of God. It was set up to, to uh, actually partition off. Women weren't allowed to come but to a certain uh, section in the Temple Mount. Gentiles were only allowed to come to a certain section in the Temple Mount. And just a few select priests could go in the innermost part of the Temple. Let's call a spade a spade here again. We like to have control, don't we? Don't we like to have control over things? We do. I think it's a defense mechanism because if you can control something, it's, it's, you feel safe, don't you? I mean, I know I do. You feel safe. You feel, you feel like you have empowerment uh, over a certain circumstance. But when we understand the world and the way the world operates, we come to the conclusion that we control very little. We control very little what's going on. Do you know right now the earth is spinning on its axis hundreds of miles an hour? Spinning around right now at this very moment, hundreds of miles an hour. The earth itself is shooting around the sun thousands of miles an hour. Did you know that the sun is a nuclear reactor taking hydrogen and combining them together, fusing them together to make helium, and eventually the sun is going to run out of fuel? at which time the sun will grow large and either explode or implode, and there's nothing we can do about it. The universe is expanding at a rapid pace, and in fact it's growing faster and faster and faster all the while until there's a certain point in time that life will be impossible in this universe, and there's nothing we can do about it. At any moment, the sun can produce a solar flare that if shot towards the earth at the right moment in time would completely destroy the electric grid on planet earth. And there's nothing we can do about it. Also, there's a truth. I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy this morning, but there's a reality that each and every person in this congregation today is going to eventually die. Amen? We're eventually going to die. and I mean, we can take care of ourselves. We can try to stay in good shape. But there are cross-country runners and cyclists who have died instantly of a heart attack and been in the perfect shape of their lives. We like to think that we can escape it. But the reality is, is that all of us are going to die and there's nothing we can do to stop it. The reality is, is, is the power and control we think we have is merely an illusion. Because the true power, the true control rests in the hands of an almighty God. Now that's unsettling for us, but when we, rea when we realize that God is the one who has the power and we realize that He is a powerful God, that He is a loving God, and that He is constructing all these things as we see in Romans eight twenty eight, the things that make sense and the things that don't make sense for our good in the end, then we don't have so much to worry about, do we? then we realize that really the power is not in our control. The power belongs to Christ. The power belongs to God Almighty. So what we need to do is to focus on the things that really matter. Not on ourselves, not on the power we think we have, but on the power of God, upon His might, upon His wisdom, upon His salvation, and upon His love and grace for all of us. Love and grace that we don't deserve 
but a love and grace that He willingly gives to all who would receive. We also see not only a cleansing from power. Uh, well, let me just say one more thing in, in regard to this. Abraham Lincoln gave a wise statement. He, he basically said that nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And if you want to see what a person's really like, give them a little ounce of power. And sometimes that power will go to their heads. Anybody seen that? I've seen that happen before. You give them a little bit of power, and they turn into a Mussolini. If you really want to see what a person's like, give them a little bit of power. But in reality, we understand that the power truly belongs with God. Last but certainly not least, there's a cleansing from partitions. Here in a few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And there's a message I preach called Jesus the Barrier Breaker. And it's an amazing thing to me that we build up walls, but Jesus has the uncanny, uncanny ability to tear them down. Amen? We build up walls uh, 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 you know, towards one another. We build up walls to protect ourselves from being hurt. We build up these walls... But Jesus' love and grace has a way of knocking them flat on, flat on the earth, flat on the ground. Jesus has a way of breaking down barriers. And the thing is, is that we see in verses 23 through 25, there were some who, who believed in Jesus. They had a belief that Jesus was doing the right thing, but they not, hadn't fully put their faith and trust in Jesus. How many of you know there's a difference between belief and faith? You can have a belief that Jesus is the Son of God... You can have a belief that He truly raised from the dead. You can have a belief in these things, but it's not going to do you any good unless you have faith in the one who did those things. You can have a belief that these things are true, but the faith and trust that you have comes from that personal relationship that you have in Christ when you say, God, I'm going to give my life over to you. I'm going to trust you with my salvation. I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you with my future. I'm going to trust you with things that I don't have control over and know that you're going to do the right thing. You see, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning as I try to be honest with you all the time. I don't expect you to fully trust me yet. Because here I am coming in, you've known me for a few months, but trust is not something that comes immediately, is it? Trust is something that's earned. You earn trust in a person. You know, you're earning, hopefully I'm earning your trust and you're earning trust with me. That's how a relationship is formed. And when it comes to Christ, we have to have trust. We come to Him trusting Him with our salvation. But as time goes on, God has an uncanny ability of showing Himself trustworthy time and time again. Amen? In the good times of life and also in the bad times of life. Some believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's belief. But trusting Him as a Savior in a relational sense, that's faith. And the reality is, as we're building this trust together, we can know one another... But I can't truly know what's in your heart. For instance, there's a Jewish commentary on Exodus that says there are seven things unknowable to mankind. The day of one's death, the day of consolation, the depths of judgment, one's reward, the time of restoration of the kingdom of David, or you can say the second coming of Christ, the time when the guilty kingdom will be destroyed, and what is within another person's heart. You see, I can know you, you can know me, but I don't know what's in your heart. Amen? And you don't know what's in my heart. Ultimately, there's one person who does, and that's God. Isn't it amazing we spend all this time trying to impress everybody else when really our focus should be on God? 
Because this God says in Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. In Proverbs 15.3, it says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. You see, the thing is, we wear these masks, but God sees right through them. Amen? We wear these masks, we try to impress people, but God peers into the inner depths of our soul. You know, when we, when we invite someone to our house, we'll most likely take them into the living room or we'll take them into the kitchen. But how many of you invite guests into your closets or to your bedrooms? Or maybe that little secret closet where, 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 uh, where you stash stuff away. I mean, does anybody just, just say, well, here, look at my messy closet. I'm going to show you my messy closet. Do we, do we do that? Not likely. But you see, God is a God who knows not only the kitchen... He knows not only the bedroom. He knows what's in the innermost depths of a person's heart. He knows your secrets that you didn't tell anybody. He knows those things that you're carrying around with you. He knows everything there is to know about you. So Westfield Baptist Church, let's stop playing games with God. Because guess what? He already knows. Amen? How are you going to trick somebody that knows everything about you? The honest to goodness truth is you can't. So Jesus knows our hearts, He knows our souls. And playing church won't get you into heaven. Being a Christian will. Amen? And let me just say this. Having your name on the Sunday school roll, or having your name on the roll of the church isn't going to get you into heaven. But having your name on the Lamb's book of life will. And that comes by having a personal faith and trust in the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ and trusting Him with your future. Let me close with this. Bring up the next slide here if we can. There's a cathedral, and I guess I'm saying this right, Amiens, France. And Vali, I'm going to probably need your help here. Uh, there was a, a story where it's told of a Heinrich Heine. Am I saying that right? He, okay, good deal. <laughs> All right, good deal. We're just going to call him Heinrich. Uh, he's a German poet, and he was standing with a friend before the, this very cathedral at Amiens, France. And he says, Tell me, Heinrich. Why can't people build piles like this anymore? And Heinrich said, because of the days of old, people have convictions. Today we only have opinions. And there's a vast difference between convictions and opinions. Our opinions won't save us, but our convictions in Christ will. The trust that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, they will. So I'll leave you with, the last, with these final three thoughts. Number one, understand, don't let the illusion of power drift you away from God's sovereign plan for your life. We like to think that we're in control. We like to think that we have power, but in reality, power that we think we have is only an illusion because we control very little in life. Amen? The true power, the true source is found in a sovereign God. And we must trust Him in the things that make sense and especially in the things that don't. Don't just believe in Jesus. Jesus, the Lord of your life, means that you're giving up control to Him and you're letting Him take over your life. Last but certainly not least, don't think you can be controlled by the world and be right with Jesus. You can only have one master in life. There's a throne in your heart. And only one person can sit there. Either the world, 
or something else. Either it's Jesus Christ or it's someone else. Only there, there can only be one source of influence in your life, one source of control in your life, one master in your life, and either it's Jesus or it's something else. Beloved, if we are going to have hope, if we're going to have joy, if we're going to have love, if we're going to stay focused in what God has called us to do, the only source of trust and power, the only person on the throne of our lives must be Jesus Christ and no one else. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you haven't placed that faith and trust, I'm not talking about belief. I'm talking about a heartfelt trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you to come down and receive Him today before it's eternally too late. Maybe you're here today and maybe as you're examining your life and the Spirit's examining your life, maybe you come to the realization that there's something between you and God and you just want to give God control over whatever it may be. Maybe it's some past hurt. Maybe it's some bitterness that you have. Or maybe it's this illusion of power that we think that we have and maybe you just want to simply give it over to God and say, God... I'm just going to trust you with my all, realizing that you have more knowledge than I do, realizing that you have more power and control than I do, and maybe you just want to give Him control of your life today. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the membership of this church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, we just encourage you to respond as the Spirit calls. To kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the faith, not just the belief, but the faith that we can have in you. And Lord, while we realize there's very little in this life that we can control, we just want to simply come to you, Lord, and thank you for the fact that you have control over things that we don't. Lord, we, we, we come to you as broken people realizing that we're carrying with us many, many things that, that hinder us in our walk with you. And we just want to simply ask, Lord, that we just remove those things today, that you would remove them from us. Allow us to experience the grace and mercy, the joy, the hope, the love that you bestow upon those who call upon your name. We thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you for your word. We pray that you have your will and your way in this time of invitation. In the name of Jesus, we ask all these things. expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.